John's Gospel in chapter 4. And I'm beginning to read at verse 43. John chapter 4, and beginning to read at verse 43. Shall we hear the word of God? After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. We thank God for his word. Well, let me take you back to John's Gospel, chapter 4, and these verses, verses 43 to 54. The facts of this little incident are with the official. We're told in the NIV that he's a royal official, a nobleman in other, in other versions of the Bible. But this royal official and his son, very simple little account. The man was a nobleman. He was a royal official. He worked uh, for uh, the king. And that meant he would have been a wealthy man and an important man in the community as well. We find later on that he's got servants. So he's obviously quite a well-to-do person. Uh, Maybe uh, this this government official uh, had quite a high standing. But his son was sick. And that sickness had progressed so that his son was now in danger of dying. So the official goes to Jesus and begs for Jesus to come with him and to heal his son. Now, as he comes to Jesus, he gets a rather off-putting response at first, doesn't he? Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. You might think that that's rather harsh. But Jesus has a reason for saying that, as we shall shall see. And in fact, 
This man is not put off by that. His desire to see his son healed is so strong that he continues asking, Sir, come down before my son dies. So um, the, the servants get very excited when he arrives home. And they get very excited because the son is, is living. And when this man arrives home the next day, he makes some inquiries. When was it that he started to get better? And he discovered that it was exactly the moment that Jesus said, you may go, your son will live. Now, as soon as that, those words were spoken, the man believed them. He took Jesus at his word. He believed what Jesus said. But when he got home and then he saw his son alive and well and recovered, and when he discovered that that son had been made well at exactly the moment that Jesus spoke that words, something else happened. Something deeper happened, not only in that man's heart, but also in the hearts of his whole household. Because we read this, verse 53. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. Running through this whole passage is this theme of belief, faith. We find that Jesus, first of all, says, you people will never believe unless you see signs and wonders. So Jesus is the one who first raises this issue of belief. And then we're told that the man believed the words of Jesus. NIV says he took Jesus at his word. He believed the words of Jesus. But then there's a deeper thing still, as at the end of the account we read, he and all his household believed. They came to a true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're seeing here not just a healing miracle of Jesus, but we're, we're seeing an unusual one as Jesus was not even present when the boy was healed. Jesus didn't have to touch him. He didn't have to be in the same room as this boy. He didn't have to hold his hand. He didn't have to pronounce any words over him. He wasn't anywhere near this boy. It was simply the words of Jesus that were enough when they were spoken that this boy was healed. And it's also a very special healing because it led to the conversion of a whole family. This family came to faith in Jesus. They came to salvation blessings. Now, this year, we have been, think by that, I mean that the, the 12 months, these last 12 months, we've all been thinking an awful lot about sickness and death. It has never been out of the news not for a single day. And we've read it in the newspaper, we've watched it on, online, we've seen the television news, or we've, we've followed it on social media. And for some people, it has touched them personally, with family members getting sick and even sadly dying. Or if we're involved in the NHS, there are people who are caring for those who are very sick and dying. So it's quite close to us, isn't it, this whole issue that we deal with in this passage in John chapter 4. So 
the question is, how are we to understand a passage like this? Well, we have much help in understanding a passage like this. I have a lot of help. Those of you in here in Bethlehem know from many of my weekly letters to you that I have benefited greatly for over the last year from reading Bishop J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on the Gospel of, of John. And I'm continuing to read them now. They are so helpful. And what I'm bringing to you this morning is sprinkled liberally with uh, his thoughts that have become my thoughts as I also have meditated on this passage. You see, one of the problems is this. It's very tempting to dismiss these healing miracles of Jesus and even to dismiss Jesus himself. There may be someone today who's tempted to do that. To say, well, I don't believe in these miracles of healing. And that leads them to just say, well, I've got no time for Jesus. You see, people might say something like this. It might even be something that you say. This official's son was healed. I prayed for my son, for my daughter, for my father, for my mother, for my husband, my, my wife. My friend, I prayed that they would be healed. I was like this royal official. I went to Jesus and I prayed and I was earnest in my prayers and I was sincere and I really desired that Jesus would heal my relative, my friend. But he didn't. He didn't heal them. They remained ill or they got better after a long period or or even sadly they died. So we might say, well, how can I believe in a Jesus who doesn't do these things now? If he did it then, why can't he do it now? Does it mean that he never really did it? Or does it mean that he can no longer do these things? And it's so easy to look at these healing miracles and to relate them to our own experience and say, well, look, that's not what I found when I came to Jesus. Now, I want you to not do that. I want you to stop. And rather, I want to encourage you to look with me more deeply at this passage and to discover what it is really teaching us. The truths about Jesus that are here are truly wonderful and life-giving. If only we will get beyond that simple and simplistic idea that if Jesus doesn't heal me or my loved ones, he can't be who he says he is. So let's look deeper. The first thing that we need to know is from the wider perspective of the whole Bible. And that is this. Sickness is a terrible curse. Sickness is a terrible curse. We were never created for sickness. God never created the world and he never made human beings in order that they would be sick in any way whatsoever. God meant us to live healthy lives. In fact, he never even intended for us to die. Adam and Eve were created by a loving God A God who provided a world that was fitted in every way for their enjoyment, their protection, and their nurture. 
God had provided everything for them to enjoy. And they could have gone on eventually to eat from the fruit of the tree of life. And if they ate from that fruit of that tree, they would live forever. But we know what happened. They broke the one command. You say, well, why on earth did God give them a command that they could break? If he intended them to live peaceably and lovingly for all eternity, why did he give them that opportunity? Why was there even the possibility of evil in the world? Well, God gave them that one command because it was intended for them to show their love for the God who had created them, to show their love for him in obedience. But instead, they showed that they were rebels in heart. Instead, they showed that they were disobedient. And it was their disobedience in the Garden of Eden. You can read it in chapter 3 of Genesis. It was their disobedience that led to sickness and death entering the world. Sickness and death never entered the world by the hand of God. They entered the world by the hand of human beings because of their rebellion. And we find very clearly in Genesis and chapter 3 that the living God explains to us the origin of all the hardships, the trials, the sickness and the death that come to us in this world. Listen to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Pain, toil, sweat, and death are all part of the curse on creation, and they are the result of human sin and rebellion. And it's not just the Old Testament that is saying that. In Romans in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul drives this lesson home to us by describing the world in which we live, a world that is filled with suffering and pain and toil and frustration. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." 
It's quite a detailed passage, but if you look at it carefully, you'll see that he's saying that the whole of creation is groaning in pain because it knows that it is not what it should be. It is not what it was created to be. It is not what it one day will be. And we ourselves, we groan as well because we know that these bodies are not what they really were intended to be. And one day they will be changed. So sickness is a terrible curse, and we need to remember this. It is no good saying, if God was a God of love, why does he allow such suffering in the world? If you say that without taking into account human rebellion and sin and the events that happened in the Garden of Eden, you're always going to go wrong. Sickness and death are here because of human sin. And sickness and death are no respecters of of people, are they? This man was rich. His son was young. You know, sickness and and death don't just come to those who are really elderly or those that are very poor. This man was very rich. His son was very young. And yet sickness visited them. I've no doubt that this man being rich would have done everything he could in his power to make his son well. He would have paid any amount of money in order to, to get the best doctors, to give the best care that was available at the time for his son. But his son was still sick and his son was near to death. Because sickness and death come to everybody, regardless of our position, regardless of our wealth. Don't ever think that the rich have it easy. You know, it's so easy for us to think, if I was just comfortable, if I was rich, if I had everything I needed, then my life would be so much more comfortable. I I wouldn't have all the worries. I wouldn't have all the cares. I wouldn't get so sick. And that's not true. The rich have their own cares, their own troubles, peculiar ones that come with riches. Don't desire riches. You're only truly rich when you have treasure in heaven. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where there's a moth and the rust and the thieves. No, you store up treasure in heaven. The only truly rich person in the world is the one who has treasure in heaven. And also remember this, sickness and death do come to us all. The most important thing is to make sure that we are right with God. Now, whatever age we are, Don't wait, assuming that you're going to live to a really old, old age. And then maybe sometime later in your life, when all the other busyness of life is over, then you can think about God. Then you can think of eternity. Don't count on it. One thing that this last year has shown us, isn't it? Sickness is no respecter of person and it's no respecter of age. Sin is a terrible curse. It's an awful thing. The death of Lazarus made Jesus weep. It is that awful that the Son of God himself felt pained when he met sickness and when he met death. But the Lord Jesus can change a curse into a blessing. That's the second point today. The Lord Jesus can change a curse into a blessing. We have reason to believe, you see, when you go back to John chapter 4, We have reason to believe that later in his life, this official and his son and his whole family actually thanked God for that illness and that near-death experience. 
Now, you might think that you would never, ever do that. How could you ever thank God for an illness? But I'm pretty sure that they did. I'm sure that the son said to his father often later in life, you know, Dad, if I hadn't been ill, you would never have gone to Jesus. If you'd never gone to Jesus, then we would have lived and died without knowing the forgiveness for our sins. I'm sure that that son would have said to his father, what a blessing that was. We thought it was a curse, but it was a blessing in the end because we came to know Jesus. It was anxiety for his son that led this man to Jesus. There's all sorts of reasons why people might come to Jesus. I don't know how you first came to Jesus. I trust that you have been to Jesus, but I don't know what first led you there. But for many people, it is a time of, of great pressure and stress and sickness. Or it is a time of bereavement. And it's anxiety that leads us to Jesus. And coming to Jesus, this man discovered something so valuable. Something that led him and his whole household to salvation. They received Salvation, forgiveness, grace, and eternal blessings. If this man had never been to Jesus, if this son had never been ill, this man and his son would have spent an eternity away from God. They would have spent their whole eternity in hell. But instead of that, this illness, this coming to Jesus, this anxiety led to them receiving salvation and spending an eternity with Christ. Where are they now? They are with the Lord, which is far better. And everything about this world is like a dream long forgotten, because they are now with the Lord. C.S. Lewis said, suffering is God's loudspeaker. That's true. There are things that God will teach us and tell us when we're suffering that we would never listen to when we're well, because all the noise of this world drowns it out. But suffering becomes this loudspeaker where we're focused on what God is saying. And it's just as well that we are. I mentioned J.C. Ryle. He says, affliction is one of God's medicines. That's lovely, isn't it? Affliction is one of God's medicines. He intends it to make you better in your soul. There are lessons that you learn through it that you won't learn any other way. So let's not complain when affliction or sorrow or suffering comes our way. There is meaning and there is a message every time God brings us to a period of suffering this man and his whole family met with Jesus and discovered that there is a gift that is more precious than health. And that gift is eternal salvation. Jesus did not come into the world to heal people. We must understand that. When we're tempted to say, oh, why doesn't Jesus heal me? Why doesn't Jesus heal my loved ones? The reason, and I say this so gently, but the reason is this, it's because he doesn't intend to always. That's not his main purpose in your life. He does not promise you 
constant health. He does not promise you a life that is free from troubles and difficulties. That is not his main purpose in your life. We see that in several places, don't we? For instance, we we see it in Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, the Lord Jesus has been healing people on one particular evening. Lots of people, everybody who came to the door, he healed all of them. And then the next morning, the disciples try to find Jesus and they can't find him. He's gone off somewhere very early before the sun came up. Listen to this, Mark 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. You see, Jesus is very clear there. I've not come to be a healer. After all, if you think about it, how many people could Jesus heal in his lifetime? He only lived for about 33 years on earth. And only three of those were spent really in this ministry. And yes, a lot of people were healed, but that was not why he came. He came to preach. He came to declare the truth about himself and God and the human need of forgiveness and grace. He came to speak of eternity. Not just this world, but eternity. And that is what men and women and boys and girls need to hear. You see, again, this is a strange one. John 5, just one chapter on. There's this man who is paralyzed and he's been laying by the side of a pool for 38 years. Just think of that. 38 years. This poor man. And naturally and rightly and properly and because his heart was so filled with compassion, Jesus healed him. So after 38 years, this man was able to get up and walk. What a wonderful thing. But listen to what happened when Jesus went to find him again. Listen to what happened. Later, Jesus found him at the temple, John 5, 14, and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now you might say, well, what on earth could be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? But Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, you need to come to a true and living faith in me. You need to turn your back on your life of sin Not that his sin had made him paralyzed. Don't make that terrible mistake. But Jesus said, like like everybody, you're a sinner. And you need to turn your back on that life. And you need to live a life of righteousness by faith and trust in me. And if you don't do that, something worse is going to happen. They say, what on earth is worse than 38 years of paralysis? And the answer is an eternity away from Christ. An eternity in hell is far, far worse than 38 years of illness. 
And that is a perspective that Jesus urges you to have on all of these issues. The Lord Jesus can change a curse into a blessing. That healing, that sickness rather of that young boy, although it was a terrible curse and an awful experience and nobody is taking anything away from the awfulness of that, the fact is that that curse was turned to a blessing because this man and his family came to Jesus and put their faith and their trust in him and received salvation and forgiveness. The final point I want to share with you is this, and it's to do with the fact that Jesus didn't have to go to the house to heal this boy. And it's this point, the word of Jesus is as good as his presence. The word of Jesus is as good as his presence. This little incident with the official and his son teaches us a a valuable lesson about Jesus' power when he is physically absent. You see, again, someone might say, you might be saying, well, all this is very well. But this all happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here in this world, walking and talking and interacting with people. It's all so long ago. How can I believe that Jesus can do anything for me today? How can I believe that Jesus can save me? How can I believe that Jesus can forgive my sins? How can I believe that Jesus can grant me the grace that I might gain heaven and know an eternity with him? How can I possibly believe that? That man could physically come to Jesus. I can't. Jesus is nowhere in this world for me to travel. I can't see him. How do I believe and how can I know that he would do anything for me? Well, listen to this official. Listen to the lesson that he learned. The word of Jesus is as good as his presence. When this man left Jesus, he left only with a promise. That's all he had. Ringing in his ears were the words of Jesus. You may go, your son will live. And that's all he had. He had nothing else to hold on to. He wanted Jesus to come with him. Jesus said no. All he had was the word of Jesus. And he believed that word. That's really important. He believed that word. He took Jesus at his word. He trusted that what Jesus said, Jesus would do. And so he went home in the full assurance of that promise And when he arrived home the next day, he discovered that that promise was not an empty one, but that all the promises of Jesus will be fulfilled. And it's at that point, the next day, that this man took a second deeper step once he realized just what had happened. The boy being healed at exactly the moment Jesus pronounced those words convinced him that Jesus was not an ordinary man. It convinced him that Jesus was a man who could speak and things happen. A man who had such power to be able to command something and immediately it is done. And so that's why this man put his trust not just in the words of Jesus, but in Jesus himself. 
and who he is. Far more than that healing miracle, this man received salvation and eternal security. And you and I need to know that for ourselves. Jesus has said so many things in his word. He is not present with us physically now. He is in heaven. He died on the cross of Calvary in order to secure your salvation, to achieve it. He was buried in the tomb, but he rose again on the third day. And then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. And that is where he is right now, alive and well, the same Jesus as walked this world with the same power. And that means that when he makes promises, when he says things, you can believe them to be true. Every promise of mercy, grace and peace that ever came from Jesus's lips are absolutely true today. And if you're trusting in Jesus right now, if you're trusting in his words right now, then you are on solid ground. It's as sure and certain as if he was right here next to you. He doesn't need to be present with you for his word to be powerful. He has a word of salvation for you, doesn't he? John chapter 3 and verse 15. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is a promise of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can believe that 100%. If you act on that promise, if you act on that word, you will discover, like this official did, that you will have exactly what Jesus promises, eternal life. And the promise is to everyone who believes. So don't start wriggling out and say, well, that's everybody except for me. I'm too bad. Oh, Jesus wouldn't want me. It says everyone, and I know that includes you, everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's a word that you need to hear if you've never come to Jesus and if you've never had your sins forgiven. That's the word. But you know, those of us who have been walking with the Lord for many years, you need to know this as well. You need to remember that Jesus' word is as good as his presence. What does he say to you? John 16 and verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. If you, a sinner, have put your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you, you are safe for all eternity. You could be in no safer place. His word is true. His word can be relied on. Like this official and his son, you can have a moment where you will be so thankful, even for the sadnesses and the sicknesses and the troubles of this life, 
if they drive you to Jesus so that you may hear his word and respond to him. And then for all eternity, you'll be thankful for everything that the Lord has brought into your life that has led you to the Savior. May God bless his word to our hearts. Let's finish with a hymn. I trust this is true of each one of us. Number 579. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise and all thy day be bright. I looked, Jesus, and I found in him my star, my sun, and in that light of life I'll walk till travelling days are done. Let's pray. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.